Canto fourteen of Don Juan by Gordon Lord Byron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Peter Gallagher. If from great natures or our own abyss of thought we could but snatch a certainty, perhaps mankind might find the path they miss. But then twould spoil much good philosophy. One system eats another up, and this much as old Saturn ate his progeny. For when his pious consort gave him stones in lieu of sons, of these he made no bones. But system doth reverse the titan's breakfast, and eats her parents, albeit the digestion is difficult. Pray, tell me, can you make fast, after due search, your faith to any question? Look back o'er ages, ere unto the stake fast you bind yourself, and call some mode the best one. Nothing more true than not to trust your senses. And yet, what are your other evidences? For me, I know naught. Nothing I deny, admit, reject, contemn. And what know you, except perhaps that you were born to die, and both may after all turn out untrue? An age may come, font of eternity, when nothing shall be either old or new. Death, so called, is a thing which makes men weep, and yet a third of life is passed in sleep. Asleep without dreams after a rough day of toil is what we covet most, and yet how clay shrinks back from more quiescent clay. The very suicide that pays his debt at once without instalments, an old way of paying debts which creditors regret, lets out impatiently his rushing breath, lest from disgust of life than dread of death. Tis round him, near him, here, there, everywhere, and there's a courage which grows out of fear, perhaps of all most desperate, which will dare, the worst to know it, when the mountains rear their peaks beneath your human foot, and there you look down o'er the precipice, and drear the gulf of rock yawns. You can't gaze a minute, without an awful wish to plunge within it. Tis true you don't, but pale and struck with terror retire. But look into your past impression, and you will find those shuddering at the mirror of your own thoughts, in all their self-confession, the lurking bias, be it truth or error, to the unknown. A secret prepossession to plunge with all your fear. But where? You know not, and that's the reason why you'd or do not. But what's this to the purpose, you will say? Gentle reader, nothing, a mere speculation, for which my sole excuse is, tis my way. Sometimes with, and sometimes without occasion, I write what's uppermost, without delay. This narrative is not meant for narration, but a mere airy and fantastic basis to build up common things with commonplaces.
you know or don't know, that great Bacon saith, Fling up a straw, twill show the way the wind blows. And such a straw, borne on by human breath, Is poesy, according as the mind glows. A paper kite which flies twixt life and death. A shadow which the onward soul behind throws, And mine's a bubble, not blown up for praise, But just to play with, as an infant plays. The world is all before me, all behind, For I have seen a portion of that same, And quite enough for me to keep in mind. Of passions, too, I have proved enough to blame To the great pleasure of our friends, mankind, Who like to mix some slight alloy with fame. For I was rather famous in my time, Until I fairly knocked it up with rhyme. I have bought this world about my ears, and eke the other, that's to say, the clergy, who upon my head have bid their thunders break in pious libels by no means few. And yet I can't help scribbling once a week, tiring old readers, nor discovering new. In youth I wrote because my mind was full, and now because I find it growing dull. But why then publish? There are no rewards of fame or profit When the world grows weary. I ask in turn, why do you play at cards? Why drink? Why read? To make some hour less dreary. It occupies me to turn back regards On what I've seen or pondered, sad or cheery, And what I write I cast upon the stream To swim or sink. I have had at least my dream. I think that were I certain of success, I hardly could compose another line. So long I've battled either more or less That no defeat can drive me from the nine. This feeling tis not easy to express, And yet tis not affected, I opine. In play there are two pleasures for your choosing. The one is winning, and the other losing. Besides, my muse by no means deals in fiction. She gathers a repertory of facts, of course with some reserve and slight restriction, but mostly sings of human things and acts, and that's one cause she meets with contradiction. For too much truth at first sight ne'er attracts, and were her object only what's called glory, with more ease, too, she'd tell a different story. Love, war, a tempest, surely there's variety. Also a seasoning slight of lucubration. A bird's-eye view, too, of that wild society. A slight glance thrown on men of every station. If you have naught else, here's at least satiety, Both in performance and in preparation. And though these lines should only line portmanteaus, Trade will be all the better for these cantos. The portion of this world which I at present have taken up To fill the following sermon is one of which there's no description recent. The reason why is easy to determine. Although it seems both prominent and pleasant, There is a sameness in its gems and ermine a dull and family likeness through all ages 
of no great promise for poetic pages. With much to excite, there's little to exalt. Nothing that speaks to all men and all times. A sort of varnish over every fault, a kind of commonplace, even in their crimes. Factitious passions, wit without much salt, a want of that true nature which sublimes whate'er it shows with truth, a smooth monotony of character, in those at least who've got any. Sometimes, indeed, like soldiers off parade, they break their ranks and gladly leave the drill, but then the roll-call draws them back, afraid. They must be or seem what they were. Still, doubtless, it is a brilliant masquerade. But when of the first sight you have had your fill, it palls. At least it did so upon me, this paradise of pleasure and ennui. When we have made our love and gamed our gaming, dressed, voted, shown, and maybe something more, with dandies dined, Heard senators declaiming, seen beauties bought to market by the score, Sad rakes to sadder husbands chastely taming. There's little left but to be bored or bore. Witness those ci-devant jeune hommes who stem the stream, Nor leave the world which leaveth them. Tis said, indeed a general complaint, That no one has succeeded in describing the monde, exactly as they ought to paint. Some say the authors only snatch, by bribing the porter, some slight scandals, strange and quaint, to furnish matter for their moral jibing, and that their books have but one style in common, my lady's prattle, filtered through her woman. But this can't well be true just now, for writers are grown of the beau monde apart potential. I've seen them balance the, even the scale with fighters, especially when young, for that's essential. Why do their sketches fail them as inditers of what they deem themselves most consequential, the real portrait of the highest tribe? Tis that, in fact, there's little to describe. Haud ignara loquor, these are new guy, quarum pars pava fui, but still art and part. Now I could much more easily sketch a harem, a battle, wreck, or history of the heart than these things, and besides, I wish to spare em, for reasons which I choose to keep apart. Vitabo careris sacrum qui vulgarit, which means that vulgar people must not share it, and therefore what I throw off is ideal, lowered, leavened, like a history of Freemasons which bears the same relation to the real as Captain Parry's voyage may do to Jason's. The grand arcanum's not for men to see all. My music has some mystic diapasions, and there is much which could not be appreciated in any manner by the uninitiated. Alas, world's fall, and woman, since she fell to the world, as since that history less polite than true has been a creed so strictly held, has not yet given up the practice quite. 
Poor thing of usages, coerced, compelled, Victim when wrong, and martyr oft when right, Condemned to childbed, as men for their sins Have shaving, too, entailed upon their chins, A daily plague, which in the aggregate May average on the whole with parturition. But as to women, who can penetrate The real sufferings of their she-condition, Man's very sympathy with their estate has much of selfishness and more suspicion. Their love, their virtue, beauty, education, but form good housekeepers to breed a nation. All this were very well, and can't be better, but even this is difficult, heaven knows. So many troubles from her birth beset her, such small distinction between friends and foes. The gilding wears so soon from off her fetter that, but ask any woman if she'd choose, take her at thirty, that is, to have been female or male, a schoolboy or a queen. Petticoat influence is a great reproach, which even those who obey would fain be thought to fly from, as from hungry pikes a roach. But since beneath it upon earth we are bought By various joltings of life's hackney-coach, I, for one, venerate a petticoat, A garment of mystical sublimity, No matter whether russet, silk, or dimity. Much I respect, and much I have adored In my young days that chaste and goodly veil Which holds a treasure like a miser's hoard, And more attracts by all it doth conceal a golden scabbard on a damask sword, a loving letter with a mystic seal, a cure for grief. For what can ever rankle before a petticoat and peeping ankle? And when upon a silent, sullen day, with a sirocco, for example, blowing, when even the sea looks dim with all its spray, and sulkily the river's ripple flowing, And the sky shows that very ancient grey, The sober, sad antithesis to glowing, Tis pleasant, if then anything is pleasant, To catch a glimpse, even of a pretty peasant. We left our heroes and our heroines In that fair clime which don't depend on climate, Quite independent of the zodiac signs, Though certainly more difficult to rhyme at, because the sun and stars and aught that shines, Mountains and all we can be most sublime at, Are there oft dull, and dreary as a dun, Whether a skies or tradesmen's is all one. An indoor life is less poetical. An out-of-door hath showers and mists and sleet With which I could not brew a pastoral, But, be it as it may, a bard must meet all difficulties, whether great or small, to spoil his undertaking, or complete, and work away like spirit upon matter, embarrassed somewhat, both with fire and water. Juan, in this respect at least, like saints, was all things unto people of all sorts, and lived contentedly, without complaints, in camps, in ships, in cottages, or courts, born with that happy soul, which seldom faints, and mingling modesty in toil or sports, he likewise could be most things to all women, without the coxcombry of certain she-men. A fox-hunt to a foreigner is strange. 
"'Tis also subject to the double danger of tumbling first, "'and having in exchange some pleasant jesting at the awkward stranger. "'But Juan had been early taught to range the wiles "'at Duff, an Arab-turned avenger, "'so that his horse or charger, hunter, hack, "'knew that he had a rider on his back. "'And now in this new field, with some applause, "'he cleared hedge, ditch, and double post and rail, "'and never craned, and made but few faux pas.' and only fretted when the scent gan fail. He broke, tis true, some statutes of the laws of hunting, for the sagest youth is frail. Rode all the hounds, it may be now and then, and once saw several country gentlemen, but on the whole, to general admiration, he acquitted both himself and horse. The squires marvelled at merit of another nation. The boars cried, Dang it! Who'd have thought? Sires, the nesters of the sporting generation, swore praises, and recalled their former fires. The huntsman self relented to a grin, and rated him almost a whipper-in. Such were his trophies, not of spear and shield, but leaps and bursts, and sometimes foxes' brushes. Yet I must own, although in this I yield to patriot sympathy of Britain's blushes, he thought at heart like courtly Chesterfield, who, after a long chase o'er hills, dales, bushes, and what not, though he rode beyond all price, asked next day if men ever hunted twice. He also had a quality uncommon to early risers, after a long chase, who wake in winter ere the cock and summon December's drowsy day to his dull race, a quality agreeable to women when her soft liquid words run on apace, who likes a listener, whether saint or sinner, he did not fall asleep just after dinner, but light and airy stood on the alert and shone in the best part of dialogue, by humouring always what they might assert, and listening to the topics most in vogue, now grave, now gay, but never dull or pert, and smiling but in secret, cunning rogue, he ne'er presumed to make an error clearer, in short, there never was a better hearer, and then he danced, all foreigners excel the serious angles in the eloquence of pantomime. He danced, I say, right well, with emphasis and also with good sense, a thing in footing indispensable. He danced without theatrical pretense, not like a ballet master in the van of his drilled nymphs, but like a gentleman. Chaste were his steps, kept within due bound, and eloquence was sprinkled o'er his figure. Like swift Camilla, he scarce skimmed the ground, and rather held in than put forth his vigour. And then he had an ear for music's sound, which might defy a crotchet critic's rigour. Such classic par, sans flore, set off our hero. He danced like a personified bolero, or like a flying hour before Aurora, in Guido's famous fresco, which alone is worth a tour to Rome, although no more a remnant were there of the old world's sole throne. The tout ensemble of his movements wore a grace of the soft ideal, seldom shown, and ne'er to be described, for to the dollar of bards and prosers, words are void of colour. No marvel then he was a favourite, a full-grown Cupid very much admired, a little spoiled, but by no means so quite. At least he kept his vanity retired. Such was his tact, he could alike delight the chaste and those who are not so much inspired. The Duchess of Fitzfalk, who loved Tracasserie, 
began to treat him with some small agassery. She was a fine and somewhat full-blown blonde, desirable, distinguished, celebrated for several winters in the grand grand monde. I'd rather not say what might be related of her exploits, for this were ticklish ground. Besides, there might be falsehood in what stated. Her late performance had been a dead set at Lord Augustus Fitz Plantagenet. This noble personage began to look a little black upon this new flirtation. But such small licenses must lovers brook, mere freedoms of the female corporation. Woe to the man who ventures a rebuke, twill but precipitate a situation extremely disagreeable, but common to calculators when they count on woman. The circle smiled, then whispered, and then sneered. The misses bridled and the matrons frowned. Some hoped things might not turn out as they feared. Some would not deem such women could be found. Some ne'er believed one half of what they heard. Some looked perplexed, and others looked profound, and several pitied with sincere regret. Poor Lord Augustus Fitz Plantagenet. But what is odd, none ever named the Duke, who, one might think, was something in the affair. True, he was absent, and was rumoured took but small concern about the when or where of what his consort did. If he could brook her gaieties, none had a right to stare. Theirs was that best of unions, past all doubt, which never meets, and therefore can't fall out. But oh, that I should ever pen so sad a line! Fired with an abstract love of virtue, she, my Dion of the Ephesians, Lady Adeline, began to think the Duchess's conduct free, regretting much that she had chosen so bad a line, and waxing chiller in her courtesy, looked grave and pale to see her friend's fragility, for which most friends reserve their sensibility. There's naught in this bad world like sympathy. Tis so becoming to the soul and face. Sets to soft music the harmonious sigh, And robes sweet friendship in a Brussels lace. Without a friendship, what were humanity To hunt our errors up with a good grace, Consoling us with, Would you had thought twice? Ah, if you had but followed my advice! Oh, Job, you had two friends. One's quite enough, especially when we are ill at ease. They are but bad pilots when the weather's rough, doctors less famous for their cures than fees. Let no man grumble when his friends fall off, as they will do, like leaves at the first breeze. When your affairs come round, one way or t'other, go to the coffee-house and take another. But this is not my maxim. Had it been, some heartaches had been spared me. Yet I care not. I would not be a tortoise in his screen of stubborn shell which waves and weather wear not. Tis better on the whole to have felt and seen that which humanity may bear, or bear not. Twill teach discernment to the sensitive, and not to pour their ocean in a sieve. Of all the horrid, hideous notes of woe, sadder than owl-songs, or the midnight blast, is that portentous phrase, I told you so, uttered by friends, those prophets of the past, who, instead of saying what you now should do, 
only foresaw that you would fall at last, and solace your slight lapse against bonus mores with a long memorandum of old stories. The Lady Adeline's serene severity was not confined to feeling for her friend, whose fame she rather darted with posterity, unless her habits should begin to mend, but Juan also shared in her austerity. But mixed with pity, pure as air was penned, his inexperience moved her gentle ruth, and as her junior by six weeks, his youth. These forty days' advantage of her years— and hers were those which can face calculation, boldly referring to the list of peers and noble births, nor dread the enumeration, gave her a right to have maternal fears for a young gentleman's fit education, though she was far from that leap year whose leap in female dates strikes time all of a heap. This may be fixed at somewhere before thirty— say seven and twenty, for I never knew the strictest in chronology and virtue advance beyond, while they could pass for new. O oh, time, why dost not pause? Thy scythe, so dirty with rust, should surely cease to hack and hew. Reset it, shave more smoothly, also slower, if but to keep thy credit as a mower. But Adeline was far from that ripe age whose ripeness is but bitter at the best. T'was rather her experience made her sage, for she had seen the world and stood its test. As I have said in—I forget what page my muse despises reference, as you've guessed by this time, but strike six from seven and twenty, and you will find her sum of years in plenty. At sixteen she came out presented, vaunted, she put all coronets into commotion. At seventeen, too, the world was still enchanted with the new Venus of their brilliant ocean. At eighteen, though below her feet still panted a hecatomb of suitors with devotion, she had consented to create again that Adam called the happiest of men. Since then she had sparkled through three glowing winters, admired, adored, but also so correct that she had puzzled all the acutest tinters without the apparel of being circumspect. They could not even glean the slightest splinters from off the marble, which had no defect. She had also snatched a moment since her marriage to bear a son and heir, and one miscarriage. Fondly the wheeling fireflies flew around her, those little glitterers of the London night, but none of these possessed a sting to wound her. She was a pitch beyond a coxcomb's flight. Perhaps she wished an aspirant profounder, but whatsoever she wished, she acted right, and whether coldness, pride, or virtue dignify, a woman so she's good, what does it signify? I hate a motive, like a lingering bottle with which the landlord makes too long a stand, leaving all claretless the unmoistened throttle, especially with politics on hand. I hate it, as I hate a drove of cattle who whirl the dust as simoons whirl the sand. I hate it, as I hate an argument, a laureate's ode, or servile peer's content. Tis sad to hack into the roots of things, they are so much intertwisted with the earth. So that the branch a goodly verdure flings, I reck not if an acorn gave it birth. 
to trace all actions to their secret springs would make indeed some melancholy mirth but this is not at present my concern and i refer you to wise oxenstern with the kind view of saving an eclat both to the duchess and diplomatist the lady adeline as soon as she saw that juan was unlikely to resist for foreigners don't know that a faux pas in england ranks quite on a different list from those of other lands unblessed with juries whose verdict for such sin a certain cure is the lady adeline resolved to take such measures as she thought might best impede the farther progress of this sad mistake she thought with some simplicity indeed but innocence is bold even at the stake and simple in the world and doth not need nor use those palisades by dames erected whose virtue lies in never being detected it was not that she feared the very worst his grace was an enduring married man and was not likely all at once to burst into a scene and swell the client's clan of doctors commons but she dreaded first the magic of her grace's talisman and next a quarrel as he'd seemed to fret with lord augustus fitz plantagenet her grace too passed for being an intrigante and somewhat méchant in her amorous sphere one of those pretty precious plagues which haunt a lover with caprices soft and dear that like to make a quarrel when they can't find one each day of the delightful year bewitching torturing as they freeze or glow and what is worst of all won't let you go the sort of thing to turn a young man's head or make a worter of him in the end no wonder then a purer soul should dread this sort of chaste liaison for a friend it were much better to be wed or dead than where a heart a woman loves to rend tis best to pause and think ere you rush on if that a bonne fortune be really bonne and first in the overflowing of her heart which really knew or thought it knew no guile she called her husband now and then apart and bade him counsel juan with a smile lord henry heard her plans of artless art to wean don juan from the siren's wile and answered like a statesman or a prophet in such a guise that she could make nothing of it firstly he said he never interfered in anybody's business but the king's next that he never judged from what appeared without strong reason of those sorts of things thirdly that juan had more brain than beard and was not to be held in leading strings and fourthly what need hardly be said twice that good but rarely comes from good advice and therefore doubtless to approve the truth of the last axiom he advised his spouse to leave the parties to themselves forsooth at least as far as bienseance allows that time would temper juan's faults of youth that young men really made monastic vows that opposition only more attaches but here a messenger brought in dispatches and being of the council called the privy lord henry walked into his cabinet to furnish matter for some future livy to tell how he reduced the nation's debt and if their full contents i do not give ye it is because i do not know them yet but i shall add them in a brief appendix to come between mine epic and its index but ere he went he added a slight hint another gentle commonplace or two such as are coined in conversations mint and pass for want of better though not new then he broke his packet to see what was in it 
and having casually glanced it through retired and as went out calmly kissed her less like a young wife than an aged sister he was a cold good honourable man proud of his birth and proud of everything a goodly spirit for a state divan a figure fit to walk before a king tall stately formed to lead the courtly van on birthdays glorious with a star and string the very model of a chamberlain and such i mean to make him when i reign but there was something wanting on the whole i don't know what and therefore cannot tell which pretty women the sweet souls call soul certes it was not body he was well proportioned as a poplar or a pole a handsome man that human miracle and in each circumstance of love or war had still preserved his perpendicular still there was something wanting as i've said that undefinable je ne sais quoi which for what i know may of yore have led to homer's iliad since it drew to troy the greek eve helen from the spartan's bed though on the whole no doubt the dardan boy was much inferior to king menelaus but thus it is some women will betray us there is an awkward thing which much perplexes unless like wise tiresias we had proved by turns the difference of the several sexes neither can show quite how they would be loved the sensual for a short time but connects us the sentimental boasts to be unmoved but both together form a kind of centaur upon whose back tis better not to venture a something all-sufficient for the heart is that for which the sex are always seeking but how to fill up that same vacant part there lies the rub and this they are but weak in frail mariners afloat without a chart they run before the wind through high seas breaking and when they have made the shore through every shock tis odd or odds it may turn out a rock there is a flower called love in idleness for which see shakespeare's ever blooming garden i will not make his great description less and beg his british godship's humble pardon if in my extremity of rhyme's distress i touch a single leaf where he is warden but though the flower is different with the french or swiss rousseau cry voila la pervenche eureka i have found it what i mean to say is not that love is idleness but that in love such idleness has been an accessory as i have cause to guess hard labours and indifferent go between your men of business are not apt to express much passion since the merchant ship the argo conveyed medea as her supercargo beatus ille procul from negotiis saith horace the great little poet's wrong his other maxim noscitur socis is much more to the purpose of his song though even that were sometimes too ferocious unless good company be kept too long but in his teeth whate'er their state or station thrice happy they who have an occupation adam exchanged his paradise for ploughing eve made up millinery with fig leaves the earliest knowledge from the tree so knowing as far as i know that the church receives 
and since that time it need not cost much showing that many of the ills o'er which man grieves and still more women spring from not employing some hours to make the remnant worth enjoying and hence high life is oft a dreary void a rack of pleasures where we must invent a something wherewithal to be annoyed bards may sing what they please about content contented when translated means but cloyed and hence arise the woes of sentiment blue devils and blue stockings and romances reduced to practice and performed like dances i do declare upon an affidavit romances i ne'er read like those i've seen nor if unto the world i ever gave it would some believe that such a tale had been but such intent i never had nor have it some truths are better kept behind a screen especially when they would look like lies i therefore deal in generalities an oyster may be crossed in love and why because he mopeth idly in his shell and heaves a lonely subterraqueous sigh much as a monk may do within his cell and apropos of monks their piety with sloth hath found it difficult to dwell those vegetables of the catholic creed are apt exceedingly to run to seed o wilberforce thou man of black renown whose merit none enough can sing or say thou hast struck one immense colossus down thou moral washington of africa but there's another little thing i own which you should perpetrate some summer's day and set the other half of earth to rights you have freed the blacks now pray shut up the whites shut up the bald coot bully alexander ship off the holy three to senegal teach them that sauce for goose is sauce for gander and ask them how they like to be in thrall shut up each high heroic salamander who eats fire gratis since the pay's but small shut up no not the king but the pavilion or else twill cost us all another million shut up the world at large let bedlam out and you will be perhaps surprised to find all things pursue exactly the same route as now with those of soi-disant sound mind this i could prove beyond a single doubt were there a jot of sense among mankind but till that point d'appui is found alas like archimedes i leave the earth as twas our gentle adeline had one defect her heart was vacant though a splendid mansion her conduct had been perfectly correct as she had seen naught claiming its expansion a wavering spirit may be easier wrecked because tis frailer doubtless than a staunch one but when the latter works its own undoing its inner crash is like an earthquake's ruin she loved her lord or thought so but that love cost her an effort which is a sad toil the stone of sisyphus if once we move our feelings gainst the nature of the soil she had nothing to complain of or reprove no bickerings no connubial turmoil their union was a model to behold serene and noble conjugal but cold there was no great disparity of years though much in temper but they never clashed 
they moved like stars united in their spheres or like the rhone by leman's water washed where mingled yet separate appears the river from the lake all bluely dashed through the serene and placid glassy deep which fain would lull its river child to sleep now when she once had ta'en an interest in anything however she might flatter herself that her intentions were the best intense intentions are a dangerous matter impressions were much stronger than she guessed and gathered as they run like growing water upon her mind and the more so as her breast was not at first too readily impressed but when it was she had that lurking demon of double nature and thus doubly named firmness eclipsed in heroes kings and seamen that is when they succeed but greatly blamed as obstinacy both in men and women whene'er their triumph pales or star is tamed and twill perplex the casuist in morality to fix the due bounds of this dangerous quality had bonaparte won at waterloo it had been firmness now tis pertinacity must the event decide between the two i leave it to your people of sagacity to draw the line between the false and true if such can e'er be drawn by man's capacity my business is with lady adeline who in her way too was a heroine she knew not her own heart then how should i i think not she was then in love with juan if so she would have had the strength to fly the wild sensation unto her a new one she merely felt a common sympathy i will not say it was a false or true one in him because she thought he was in danger her husband's friend her own young and a stranger she was or thought she was his friend and this without the farce of friendship or romance of platonism which so often leads amiss ladies who studied friendship but in france or germany where people purely kiss to thus much adeline would not advance but of such friendship as man's made to man be she was as capable as woman can be no doubt the secret influence of the sex will there as also in the ties of blood an innocent predominance annex and tune the concord to a finer mood if free from passion which all friendship checks and your true feelings fully understood no friend like to a woman earth discovers so that you have not been nor will be lovers love bears within its breast the very germ of change and how should this be otherwise that violent things more quickly find a term is shown through nature's whole analogies and how should the most fierce of all be firm would you have endless lightning in the skies methinks love's very title says enough how should the tender passion e'er be tough alas by all experience seldom yet i merely quote what i have heard from many had lovers not some reason to regret the passion which made solomon a zany i've also seen some wives not to forget the marriage state the best or worst of any who were the very paragon of wives yet made the misery of at least two lives i've also seen some female friends tis odd but true as if expedient i could prove that faithful were through thick and thin abroad at home far more than ever yet was love who did not quit me when oppression trod upon me 
whom no scandal could remove, who fought and fight in absence to my battles, despite the snake society's loud rattles. Whether Don Juan and chaste Adeline grew friends in this or any other sense, will be discussed hereafter, I opine. At present I am glad of a pretence to leave them hovering, as the effect is fine, and keeps the atrocious reader in suspense. The surest way for ladies and for books to bait their tender or their tenter hooks. Whether they rode or walked or studied Spanish to read Don Quixote in the original, a pleasure before which all others vanish, whether their talk was of the kind called small or serious, are topics I must banish to the next canto where perhaps I shall say something to the purpose, and display considerable talent in my way. Above all, I beg all men to forbear anticipating aught about the matter. They'll only make mistakes about the fair, and Juan too, especially the latter, and I shall take a much more serious air than I have yet done in this epic satire. It is not clear that Adeline and Juan will fall, but if they do will be their ruin. But great things spring from little. Would you think that in our youth as dangerous a passion as e'er brought man and woman to the brink of ruin rose from such a slight occasion, as few would ever dream could form the link of such a sentimental situation? You'll never guess. I bet you millions, milliards. It all sprung from a harmless game at billiards. "'Tis strange, but true. "'For truth is always strange, stranger than fiction. "'If it could be told, how much would novels gain by the exchange? "'How differently the world would men behold! "'How oft would vice and virtue places change? "'The new world would be nothing to the old "'if some Columbus of the moral seas "'would show mankind their soul's antipodes. "'What?' Entres vast and desert idle then would be discovered in the human soul, what icebergs in the hearts of mighty men with self-love in the centre is their pole, what anthropophagi a nine of ten of those who hold the kingdoms in control were things but only called by their right name, Caesar himself would be ashamed of fame. End of Canto 14 of Don Juan by Gordon Lord Byron